Yes, hello, how are we doing? Welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast, the Monday pod. We are sponsored by Betfair. We are Ali Maxwell, me, him, George Ellick. This me. week, a good old-fashioned weekend recap. No MPs available this week, sadly, George. Just recap your weekend for me, by which I mean, how are you? I'm good, mate. I'm very well. Um, I Yeah, I was on Five Live on Saturday, which was exciting and fun. Um, and except for that, I just was watching a lot of football and trying not to get COVID. A great way to spend any weekend. I find that uh, increasingly as a podcaster slash broadcaster, mainly talking about lower league football, uh, as you might be able to tell, I'm now horrendous at normal conversations with normal people, which is Mm. why on a Monday, uh, my way of saying how are you is please recap your weekend. Um, But um, (laughs) it was a very busy weekend in the EFL and we are going to run through it now. We'll start in the championship where we're going to begin in South Wales. Swansea 1, Nottingham Forest 4. A big game for narrative lovers. Uh, Steve Cooper's return to Swansea City. Lots and lots of discussion in the build-up, as you might imagine. Lots of questions fielded to Steve Cooper and his counterpart, Russell Martin, uh, who succeeded him in the Swansea dugout. And as you might imagine, neither of them said very much before the game of any particular interest. I didn't think either of them said anything after the game of any particular interest, but the match <laughs> itself was very interesting and potentially significant. Uh, a big, big away win for Nottingham Forest. Big winners, I'd say, Georgia, the championship weekend. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 what you said about the, the narrative around Steve Cooper, it's quite a weird one because I get the impression that Steve Cooper, for all that the fans never really bought into him, um, I think that his man management style, um, I'd be I'd be amazed if he wasn't an eminently popular figure um, amongst most Swansea players because, you know, he, he does seem to be a guy who's very good at, at managing characters. The, the only people who may not be so keen on him uh, might be the goal scorer for Swansea, Joel Peru, who was sold the Swansea dream by Steve Cooper only for Cooper to then to then leave before he'd actually played a competitive game for them. Um yeah, and they were the big winners here. This, I think, on the balance of play, you know, for anyone who was watching this game, if you had told them at half time there were going to be five goals, I think they'd have called you a lunatic because there weren't very many chances in the first half at all. Um, but this is, I think, what we probably have expected to see from Forest all season, really. Because when you rattle through the, the names they've got um, in the final third, um, Zinkenagel, Johnson, Graben, now, these are all exciting, attacking, very gifted footballers. And yet they've often been, even when they've been picking up points this season, I would say, they've often been a fairly stodgy attacking side. Whereas here, you know, whether it was on the counter-attack, which, which you know, mainly when you're playing against Swansea, your chances are probably going to come on the break. Um, they were very, very impressive. I mean, they got some luck, it's fair to say. Uh, Hamer's spilling spilling the shot was a really weird moment where it didn't really look like he made any attempt to to actually catch the ball it's almost like he let it hit his chest and then and then rebound down and then he I can almost always because I'm a <laughs> kind-hearted human being I can almost always at least understand why a mistake has happened from a goalkeeper and it always comes from a position of thinking that being a goalkeeper is incredibly difficult at any level let alone in the second tier of English football that particular mistake for Nottingham Forest's third goal which really killed the game I've got nothing I cannot it's one of the things that shocked me the most on a pitch this season it's up there with like Stockton's goals from the halfway line because I just I cannot understand what's happened there how that ball has just bounced off his hand or (laughs) wrist straight to Johnson 
I like that he also has the audacity to then appeal for the foul as if it was like a blatant <laughs> foul that Johnson kicked out of his hands. It, it was a it was a poor moment. And I still think, even though he's done okay at times this season, I think Swansea have to look to upgrade. Um, <laughs> I like this because you, you, you were saying that when Bender was playing and now you're saying that yeah. when Hayme is playing. So, you know, at least you're consistent. Well, I just don't think, you know, the reason why Bender wasn't good enough and why Hayme is good enough is because they don't have a better goalkeeper than either of them, basically. They're two... I would say substandard keepers. Although interesting, I say that because later on in the podcast, I'm going to massively backtrack, um, like a four-year stance on, on another keeper. I bet you can <laughs> guess who that's going to be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for, for Swansea, it, they're going through, you know, to do an impression of, of plenty of, of foreign managers in the Premier League. They're going through a bad moment. They're going through a bad moment where I don't think the the performances are necessarily all that bad. They, you know, the the XG for this game was. I think 1.63 to 2.13 um, from info goal. Um, so a, a kind of marginal game where, where Forrest with his deserved winners, although I should point out that a couple of those chances, um, Lati Baudier, um, his chance was with five minutes to go. It's probably the best chance of, of the game so far. So it's skewed a little bit and then Piru late on too. So, you know, it, it's it's fleshed out a little bit, um, but some defensive lapses were pretty poor. And, for you know, it felt like Swansea were moving in the right direction under Russell Martin, but a very difficult couple of weeks will have him now with a bit of work cut out in order to ensure that they, um, you know, they keep believing in the process and what he's trying to do and don't get too uh, downbeat about the bad results. <laughs> Feels like the two key issues at the moment are the back three and which players to select and how to format them. Bit of chopping and changing. Uh, Ryan Manning moving out to left wing back because of Bidwell's poor form, but Manning was quite a popular part of that back three. Uh, and it doesn't quite feel like Martin has has nailed that just yet. And I'm sure that injuries and knocks play a part there as well. And then at the other end, unfortunately, still not penetrating defences as well as you'd like them to, as well as we expect them to uh, once Martin has had a few more months in charge. I keep checking who scored. I keep going on team statistics, hmm. detailed shots uh, filtered by zones. And I try and look, have Swansea improved in terms of shots inside the box. No, they haven't. Still the worst in the whole championship this season. So still uh, plenty to do to help out Luckily, Joel Perrault, really. Because Joel Perrault, he's just scoring just caress it into the goal from, from distance. He's only effort. scoring spectacular goals, isn't he? What an incredible highlights reel he has this season. But he needs some help. There's a real dearth of goal threats without him. Patterson has a couple over the season, but those have dried up recently. Uh, and, and the majority of those kind of spectacular strikes as well. So they really need to improve their final third play. Uh, as for Forrest... I think their biggest issue at the moment uh, are to do with low knees, specifically Jed Spence, who's been excellent. Please don't recall him, Chris Wilder <laughs> and Middlesbrough. But if they could, why wouldn't they? Uh, and secondly, Zinkenagel, please don't recall him, Watford. To be honest, I don't think that will happen. But more no. importantly, don't fall in love with a low knee. It's, a, it's an issue that many sets of fans have across the EFL every single season and I see it with Forrest and Zinkenagel. And why wouldn't they? Because I remember being so excited when Watford signed him last January. We spoke to people who'd watched mm. him playing for Bodo Glimt when they won the league in Norway. And like to all intents and purposes, this was just a high-volume, creative uh, threat from range, just a real attacking force. He just never got a chance and never broke into that Watford side and it was such a high-performing team, wasn't it? So you can kind of understand why. But now you look at him play and you just think, yeah, at this level, this bloke's just always going to have a big impact because of the quality he has. And he showed that with his goal here, the first touch. It was just rare quality. You know, it wasn't It wasn't just try and get the ball under control with my first touch and then see what happens. It was the 
the uh, intelligence to realise that actually if his first touch was was to roll his foot over the top of the ball to set him up for the shot and then he could get one off before the defender closed him down and, and the mm-hmm. sweetness of the strike just sent it past the goalkeeper pretty easily here. Um, did you want to jump I mean, in there? You look like you had something to say. Yeah, well, just the, the one thing I would say on that is that whilst you are right about the loanees, um, I think we can probably expect some more exciting loanees to come through the door in January anyway because... You know, Cooper came in when the transfer window was already closed. We, we've seen with the Swansea side that he has a very good record of bringing in players that he knows from the England youth setup. The only issue is, is that quite a lot of those England youth players are now first team regulars at other clubs. But I do wonder um, if we might see a couple in. I mean, they've got sure five. Be- they've got five already, so it might, you know, it might be that. Uh, some of those would have to go back in order to, to free up spots for, for loanies yeah. in the match day squad. I mean, Garner, first team regular, Zinkanagel, Spence, of course. I'll say Tutu came back. He's been injured pretty much all season. And in terms of ball carrying from wing back, he certainly looks like he's got something special. He, he, he did look a little bit suspect defensively at times. And then they got Max Lowe, of course, who's on loan from Sheffield United, but is currently out with an injury. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do send him back. They've got the most points, George, in the championship since Chris Hewton was sacked, which... Forest really? fans will understandably hold up as justification <sighs> for just quite how strongly they felt uh, that, that uh, things were, were not right under Chris Hewton. 30 points from 15 games. That does include Stephen Reid's win as caretaker manager before Cooper took charge. Second to Fulham if you take Cooper's 14 games. And, and it, you know, if you, it's clearly there's a lot to like the tactical flexibility, um, the goals they've scored in transition, making the most of Brennan Johnson and Zinkenagel's defence splitting passes. Uh, they've kind of won points in, in a lot of different ways. Now, it would be wrong not to mention uh, that they've had a very healthy dose of good juju in terms of XG over performance. Um, Info goal has them in this period uh, at 18.5 XG4 with 25 goals scored and 17.5 against with only 12 conceded. So uh, over performance about about 35% on the attacking end and 31% on the defensive end. It's uh, it's great to have good finishing and good goalkeeping and a bit of luck, uh, but it would be even better to improve on those numbers. So it's something to, to watch out over the next few weeks. It's still a damn impressive start to a managerial tenure. And they've got three of their next four at home, Hull City, Huddersfield Town, Barnsley and Borough away in the middle. So on, on form, on paper... Not that easy, but on paper, you'd be looking at that as a Forest fan and, and thinking nine points minimum there. And if they get those, you'd expect them to be probably just inside, nestled in the sweet embrace of the playoff places uh, come the start of the year. It's a, it's, an, it's been an amazing well, four months of the season so far for Forest. I just want to flag up one more thing about Steve Cooper and Swansea City because we're not going to talk about this ever again. Why would we? Um, but it was his return to, to Swans. And I still think his time at Swansea... It confuses everyone a bit, including me. Like, was two playoff finishes but without winning promotion good or bad? Was the fact that he attracted some incredible loanees that no one else could have done, that are now many of them well-known names at Premier League level, do you look back at that as a, as a positive or a negative because they were there and they didn't go up with those players? Is the fact that even when they were doing really well for the first half of last season, the underlying numbers didn't always suggest or really ever suggest that they were a, a playoff level side. Is that a knock on him or can we put that to one side when we judge his tenure? I think the key, that there's like a distinction to be made here. I think we as, um, <clears throat> you know, we as people who cover the leagues uh, from an unbiased point of view um, would, would assess what he did at Swansea as being, as being a very good job, well done, given what he had at his disposal. I think there is a very different 
angle for the Swansea fans where, as I learned myself um, when tweeting about the Russell Martin appointment, is, you know, I think you can look at certain fan bases as having certain characteristics. And, you know, I got it wrong in the summer when I said I thought West Brom were a fan base who wouldn't mind the Ishmael tactics. That is clearly incorrect. Um, given what we've seen so far this season. But Swansea, I think more than most fan bases, expect their team to play a certain way. And rightly or wrongly, they believe that their um, history basically pioneered the passing football that we now see often in the EFL um, 15 or so years ago. So there is a measure to his tenure that that you and I wouldn't necessarily agree with, where he basically failed to comply with those values. And therefore, his um, achievements on the pitch... You know, if he got them promoted, it's a job well done. But um, by not playing the way that the, the fan base wanted to play, and also not achieving promotion, um, it would be a mark against him compared to, for example, Graham Potter, who obviously took over in more trying circumstances, but um, you know maintained those values. And even though it was a mid-table finish, I think Swansea fans would probably argue that Potter did a better job. So, who knows? Cooper was was. Uh was uh, I did I did have a wry smile on my face at the fact that in his post-match interview having won 4-1 and don't get me wrong I'm sure it was tedious how many questions he was asked about the matter but he couldn't help but mention the uh, 50 million pounds worth of player sales raised during his tenure compared to a pretty <sighs> minimal uh, net spend which is fair enough you know no one else is going to do your advertising for you Steve Cooper uh, well not no one but you know, why not? Bit of self-promotion. Uh, you know, you've got to do it. Uh, let's move on. Bournemouth nil, Blackburn 2, Blackburn Rovers march on. What is going on, George? There can't be many teams in history that have lost 7-0 in a league game and then cranked out five wins in a draw. 16 points from 16 after that. There's only there's only four points between these two sides now. Yeah, it's and it's kind of hard to analyse because unlike I, f- I felt like Blackburn were one of the easiest teams last season to get a grip of because they had a very distinct style of play. It was obvious to see what they were doing. Their star players were, were clearly destined for for bigger things. Whereas now you've got a, a side who, under the same management, have completely torn up that that blueprint of how to play. Um, you know the heavy possession, um, heavy pressing style from last season you know probably most similar team I would say in terms of the way that they played stylistically to the likes of Man City and Liverpool in the championship last season that isn't the case anymore but they're playing to their strengths and it's definitely working you know they and the star players that we that we are seeing now you know Britain being the obvious one and you know he had his his part to play in this given that the first goal came from a shot deflected off the bar um, off Pearson and into the back of the net. You know, Joe Rothwell has been in, in magnificent form for the last few weeks. Um, John Buckley is a player whose who's ascent in terms of, of the way that he has risen at Blackburn is impressive. Lewis Travis, who's been short of form and fitness for a long time, now playing very well. Harry Pickering on the left-hand side, really starting to come to the fore. And then Jan-Paul van Hecker, who, um, you know, is, I guess, the one of the loanees that we have been expecting from Blackburn. You know, he's only played seven games this season, but he's now really starting. Having had an absolute shocker in that Fulham game by getting sent off after half an hour, and, you know, that was the catalyst to the result. He's come back into the side and looked really impressive, and it's been a way for him to make amends. So, you know, were they two goals better than, than Bournemouth on the day? Possibly not. You know, they were the ones who, they got, they got the decisive luck, I guess, with the own goal, and then took their chance from a set piece. But they did what not many teams have done to Bournemouth. They restricted their chances. They they made a lot of good players look pretty ordinary. And I just continue to be so happy for Tony Mowbray um, after the 
you know, the there's a couple of managers I think in the EFL this season who, you know, in mid October were getting some serious stick from their mid October, early November getting some serious stick from their fans who've gone through some some massive good spells as well. You know, you look at Danny Cowley at Pompey too, and you've got to be delighted for these guys that you know, good managers who have have had a bit of faith shown in them, um, starting to get it right. And now for Blackburn Rovers, I mean where where do you set your expectations right now? Champ- Champions four? League football in two years? Uh, too high too low bit harsh that bit harsh <laughs> bit harsh on, on, on tone um, but no but they have to be now you, you have to think of them you know it was Coventry for a long while um, and QPR before that but are, are they the most likely to to challenge those top three or is it is it still just a, a fight for fourth um, between those who, who fall outside the, the top three at the moment well, I, I, um, mean, I, I think, think I think the, the, the latter is probably the expectation anything more would be mm would be incredibly impressive. I think there'd be Middlesbrough fans. I think there'd be Nottingham Forest fans, certainly still QPR fans. Cov fans might have taken a little bit of a hit in recent weeks. I think there's still a couple of fan bases who'd still say, you know, let's let's just wait and see. Let's not make any any uh, any broad brushstroke statements just yet. Uh, Ainsley Pears was big here, isn't he? Uh, what isn't he? Wasn't he? Uh, filling in for Kaminsky made two big saves at 1-0 from Christie and from Solanke. And of course, the eminently functional... Uh, John Buckley. His main function in this team now is just to be an absolute superstar, a breakout star of the league this year for sure. Uh, playing in in the sort of advanced midfield role. I don't know whether you'd call it a ten role or an advanced eight. Uh, who scored had him in the hole. Six tackles in that role, just showing the intensity of the press that he sets. Uh, he also set up uh, Brereton Diaz for a one on one in the second half. Danced past a few Bournemouth players as well. He's just doing it all in the central midfield. And him, Travis Rothwell, a very high, highly effective midfield three and very easy on the eye as well. And last word goes to Diaz. Of course it does. Uh, I just love, although he didn't get the goal here, the presence of mind that he had to, to lift it over the keeper who was diving at his feet uh, in off the underside of the bar and then onto Pearson and into the net. Diaz didn't score here, but it's worth pointing out that he has the same amount of championship goals as Brereton Diaz as he did when he was just Brereton uh, 17 goals this season in the championship in 1,878 minutes that's 21 games worth of football 17 goals previously 17 in 7,092 minutes that is 79 games worth uh, uh, unbelievable really uh, and yeah Cherries no wins in five now George with Bournemouth what's happening there? I don't really know to be honest Um there were parts of their good form that were clearly not going to last. Now, the fact they hadn't conceded a goal in the first half since opening day, um, and that was kind of the cornerstone of their success, that was never going to continue. Um, I personally still, and this may come as a surprise to some, I wouldn't be that concerned. You know, we, We've seen this in the past where, even last season, um, where you've got a couple of teams towards the top end and they come back to the pack a bit. I think just they're you know, a, a poorer run. Um both of them coming at the same time of each other between Bournemouth and Fulham with a game between the two coming as a draw as well, maybe overly exaggerates um, what is going on. I still anticipate them to return to a, a much, much higher level fairly soon and start picking up points regularly. But the issue for Bournemouth is that is their fixtures where you wouldn't necessarily say the run of the run that they've had has been one that would see a turnaround in form. You know, when they were beating Derby 2-1 back in the 21st of November, um, you know, they, they had Millwall away coming next and Coventry at home after that before the big game against Fulham. They wouldn't have anticipated they were going to get two points from those three games. Um, and here they sit with three from five and their next two games are, are, are trips to, 
to borrowing QPR pretty much as hard and a, a couple of away trips as you're going to get at the moment in the championship outside of West Brom and, and Fulham. So it doesn't get much easier. Um, I thought Scott Parker's interview after the game was really good. Uh, he was very level-headed. He kind of said what I was saying, where you know it's a bad run and it's gonna, they're going to they're going to come out the other end of it. Um, he didn't anticipate it was going to happen. He didn't really see it coming, but it is what it is, and they've got to find a way to to get out. I don't think their performances are too much to worry about. I thought they were very good against Fulham um, until the last 20 minutes, where naturally they they sat in a bit. Uh, they were two 0 up and coasting against Coventry before a Jefferson Lerma red card changed the game, and they conceded very late on. It's just they're going to have to roll with the punches a bit. Um, a lot of bad blows coming um, within days of each other is going to give it a, a worse um, feel than, than I think it necessarily is. I still think that Fulham and Bournemouth are, are well clear of the rest. Well, West Brom closed the gap. The only winners in the top three this weekend, a 1-0 home win against Reading, an absolute battering of a 1-0 this. 25 shots to four, 11 shots on target to zero. And yet, George, and yet, <laughs> there was a moment in the first half, I think it was. No, no, it must have been the second half, where Halilovic performed one of the nicest bits of skill uh, on the turn to find some space. Played a beautiful through ball to Delhi Bashiru, who ran in one-on-one left side of the box to equalise for Reading. Huge chance, lost all composure, slashed it out, and it went out for a throw-in on the far side. Felt like a big moment, that. Reading's only moment, realistically, of the whole game. Um, West Brom more than good enough for this win, but again, wondering why they didn't rack up three or four. Yeah, it's going to be frustrating I think um for West Brom fans because that could have been the performance and result to really you know I think they'll feel like they're due blitzing a team and blasting them away and I think in a way they did they just didn't score the goals to go alongside it you know Southwood put in another incredible performance I'm, I'm interested by him because all signs seem to point to this as a guy who could be a, a very very good keeper I mean certainly as a shot stopper he looks in- mightily impressive and he was here and, and he was probably the reason why West Brom didn't score more I mean he was the reason why West Brom didn't score more again looking at the at the XG uh, 3.11 to 0.55 and that that Delibashiru chance was a 45% chance apparently so um, you can see what's what's coming there I mean the one I say that he was the reason Southwood Luke Southwood but also Andy Carroll and you know the the absolute definition of, of good in both boxes his um his goal line clearance, if you haven't seen it, um, go back and watch Quest. If not for Ali's performance, then certainly for Andy Carroll's, where uh, it is incredible, where he, you know, it's a corner, he's defending the near post. He obviously wins the first header, but um, the natural physicality of the challenge forces him into the goal. He's then on his knees, holding on to the, he kind of hoists himself up whilst holding onto the goal net, flings himself forward so unbalanced and manages to clear the ball off the line. It is an incredible moment of... I guess a kind of coordination, I think, really to to keep the ball out and, and it desire kind of and passion. Yeah, all just wants to play, mate. He just wants to play. He's only on a thousand pounds a week. He just wants to play football, and he's this an was the manifestation so of that. You know, he's been it's it's the kind of signing you make in football manager when things aren't going well and they're terrible. <laughs> um, whereas he's, I know, he's doing such a good. Jo- he's yeah, he's, he's playing brilliantly and um, he's often reading something very different. But it's fu- funny he, you mentioned FM because he just got sacked as Fleetwood Town manager on my Scunthorpe United save. <laughs> it's only the third season, so he's he's only thirty four, <laughs> just sacked by Fleetwood. Two very different career paths because he's certainly playing himself into hopefully an extended deal with Reading, if not. Uh, no doubt somewhere else. And just going back to West Brom, I I pretty much hate, George, the very regular 
we just need to sign a striker in January and we'll be fine. We'll be challenging for whatever, promotion, playoffs, whatever it might be. I feel like 50% of the teams in the EFL think that at some point. I think for West Brom, it's, it's very legit. It's very legit because... The defence is good, you know, by pretty much any measure. They don't give up many shots and that has to be the, the, the name of the game. They've had a couple of games where they, they looked a bit wobbly and they've had to chop and change a lot, but generally doing well out of possession for the most part. And regardless, you know, setting aside style of play and aesthetics, if attacking is about creating lots of goal-scoring opportunities, lots of shots, again, West Brom do that well. Um, and their underperformance in front of goal is, is pretty, well, it's pretty eye-catching. It's pretty sensational. Opta has them... 25.9 xg in open play and only 19 goals scored so that's seven goals worth of underperformance uh, and even their xg generated from set pieces at 13.8 generated and i think again seven scored so an underperformance of seven 15 uh, sorry 14 more goals would uh, would would get them where they want to be i think that's fair to say so the next question is is it easy or is it hard to buy strikers in january that there'll be lots of movement but anecdotally george do do you think strikers signed in January is a bit of a, it, it's more missed than hit? I don't know. Are you looking at, if you're West Brom, are you looking at Premier League loanies or Premier League players out of favour who just want to play football? Has anyone got Dwight Gale's number? I was wondering. Do you test but, Luton Town's resolve for Elijah Adebayo with his uh, size probably fitting quite nicely in your system? Does Daryl DK fancy another winter internship in the championship? I noticed he scored eight in his last 10 MLS games and that season's just finished. I think there will be value to be had. I think the issue is that probably that value is, is not the calibre of or the, the the type of player, let's say, that, that West Brom would go after. You know, you have such bloated squads in the Premier League. There are always going to be those players who've been who've been cast aside, although I have a feeling Newcastle are only going to be able to shop in that market, which could make it quite difficult for, for West Brom to, to beat them to the punch for any actual, you know, cast off um, Premier League striker that isn't Tyke Hale. Um but that, I mean, there is value to be had because the you know the there's such a financial discrepancy between the top end of the championship and, and League One and League Two that you could look down into those leagues. You know, players who I mean, are there any that, that stand out necessarily? Not really. Um, but I wonder, you know, if you look at where Carlin Grant came from himself, you know, he's a player who who scored goals in League One and League Two, and they managed to bring in. But isn't the but gap doesn't... so big even within the championship that? You know, that's why I mentioned Adebayo, where actually West Brom financially with the parachute payments are, are in a mini league of, of three or four teams in the championship. And in purely, you know, in purely financial muscle and transfer market muscle terms, I think we can consider them in a different division in that sense to Luton. And so, you know, regardless of League One or League yeah, Two, probably. you probably look within your own division for those who are performing for, for teams who, who are probably quite keen for a decent, well, for the sort of transfer fee that you and pretty much you alone can pay. Yeah, no, I think I think that's probably fair, and there aren't any standout candidates anywhere in, in League One and League Two at the moment who would appeal to that. You know, there's no one of a of an age necessarily, um, <laughs> um, or no one. You know, you could look at someone like Marcus Harness, who would be a massive step up for him. But again, he kind of he's the same mould of player that they've already got, and is he any better than Callum Robinson? No, so you know, it doesn't really make much sense. Um, so it's yeah, it's going to be difficult for them. I, I don't necessarily agree though, because I I do think that Carlin Grant is has the capacity to be a very prolific championship striker um, and in this system as well. You know, he, again, it was, it was Southwood who kept him at bay uh, a couple of times on, on Saturday. Um, he's someone who scored a lot of goals before he offers a great deal uh, as, away from goals too. The issue is, but can, is it, it, can you not just see Grant left Robinson, right? January striker, 
through the middle. Like signing yeah, a striker feasibly. doesn't doesn't who, need to it, doesn't need to impact Grant. But my, my point is that I think they could feasibly, you know, he's played off the left the majority of games this season, but he has played through the middle too. I'm not convinced necessarily that he couldn't be a very good striker. So not off the left. So if you, I think you could play him through the middle um, with the right players around him. The issue is, is that we know that Ishmael likes his strikers to be incredibly physical. And I don't think um, he necessarily has that, but the Hugel transfer clearly hasn't worked so far. Are they going to be able to get in someone better who fits the mould? You know, DK is, is, is the obvious one. Otherwise, you know, I'm sure there are players out there who um, who we don't know about who would, who would work. Um, but I think it's just too base to say they need a striker and everything will be fine. I don't think it's it's that necessarily that easy unless the striker is of a of a certain quality. All I'm saying is if we can get in a 20 goal a season striker, then we'll get promoted. Um, Preston two Barnsley one, the first game in the championship for Ryan Lowe, the new manager of, of Preston North End. That all happened quite quickly, didn't it? Uh, last week, leading Plymouth, joining Preston and winning two one in his first game against Barnsley. Didn't have it easy here. There were spells in this game where Barnsley caused Preston problems, but a lovely goal in transition. A brilliant run from Reese to draw away the defenders and create the space for Brown. He was found by Johnson and, and slotted in the near post. And then the winning goal was a very tasty corner routine that saw mm. Johnson basically just slide home unopposed from about the penalty spot. So um, good start, great atmosphere. The fan base have been really g'd up by this which you know given how often when we've talked about Preston this season we have focused mostly on the apathy of the fans because the results themselves probably haven't looked as bad from the outside as uh, the general vibe seems um, but they can build from here um, let's talk about the appointment in general uh, George what did you make overall of one of your favourite managers of the 72 uh, getting his chance in the championship with Preston North End yeah I mean I think it's an exciting appointment. I've got to be careful how I talk about this because I don't want to make it seem like I, I don't think it is because I do. And I like Ryan Lowe and I've been very clear about that from the beginning. But as time has kind of moved on, I've um, become more and more concerned by the appointment, not because I don't rate Lowe, just because, yeah, I mean, it, they work together at Berry and they work together at Plymouth Argyle. And I, and I do think that the way that most fans think about managers is often wrong not always wrong but often wrong we often think about managers being the be all and end all but i think when you have a partnership um or a kind of backroom team who, who move together it's natural to assume well we have to think and assume that stephen schumacher played a large part in the success of, at berry and at preston and that stephen schumacher and ryan lowe's working relationship was catered over the last four or five years to suit their strengths and their weaknesses. They had a playing relationship as well before. They're obviously friends. You know, it worked. And that's not to say that Lowe can't work on his own. You know, I use the example on the on the betting show about Chris Wilder, who, of course, Chris Wilder and Anna Nil are one of the most iconic um, EFL duos in recent times in terms of managerial duos but Chris Wilder achieved great things at Oxford even though the management style and the playing style was definitely very different to what we'd seen previously um, and, and since as well 
So, you know, Lowe comes in, he's a very good talker and he's immediately got Preston fans on board with that. I think the performance here, certainly um, the performance of Ben Whiteman was was magnificent. Johnson as well, back in amongst the goal involvements, Brown too. And there was a definitely a, a more of an attacking vigour to the way that Preston played, which, which made the fans happy. Um, and I think everything, you know, the, the fan support of Lowe, Lowe's, the way that Lowe talks and the way that he gets people on side, I think the reaction that we saw wasn't necessarily a surprise, but it was just a 2-1 win against Barnsley, who are the worst team in the league. So let's not get too carried away. Um, yeah, you know, just as someone who has touted Ryan Lowe for a lot of jobs in the past, um, and I'm excited to see what happens, I'm not going to sit here now and say this is going to work just because of the circumstances around it. A, a, a large part of the discussion that raged on social media, and look, a lot of this comes down to raw emotions. Argyle fans never going to be particularly pleased with the manner and timing of this departure, and some of it manifested itself in questioning whether he's really, and I quote, sort of making much of a step up here. And I sort of see what people would be suggesting there. Ryan Lowe in the midst of building something that was clearly going pretty well at Argyle, being well supported, given a very long-term contract. Uh, the recruitment in the summer, which Argyle do very well with their recruitment team and um, outsourcing with, with Market Insights involved as well, that had clearly helped him uh, put together a more impressive team and that then again builds his own credit in the bank. I think there is a risk always as as fans, even in our position, of overrating like... Uh, this concept of being on a journey and wanting to see it through. Um, I think, you know, on the flip side, we constantly talk about how it's ridiculous being a football manager. There's nothing else quite like it in that you can be doing very well and within three months after a bad spell, you can be genuinely unemployed, sacked. Um, and I think mm. there's probably... Uh, a, 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 it's probably right to mention that in a very literal sense... Ryan Lowe has absolutely taken a step up here. Like you can put aside the team names, put aside what you think about Plymouth Argyle, the size of the club, etc. Put aside Preston North End, the size of the club, etc. He is a championship manager now. There's only 24 of them. That shouldn't be underestimated. If you look at the Betfair exchange um, and you look at the prices as a way of measuring probability, right? In pure probability terms, Preston North End currently have a 3% chance of being relegated this season. It's almost... Well, I'm almost positive that's not going to happen. So it's a great chance for Ryan Lowe to get his feet under the table, 25 games of being Preston manager in the championship without a huge amount of jeopardy. Plymouth Argyle are currently around 6-1 to one to win promotion after a poor run of form. They're current, so that's about a 20% chance of being promoted from League One to the championship. So if you think about it in a very basic sense, in a year's time, Ryan Lowe should be, unless something goes horrendously wrong, an established championship manager. He'll have had a year in the job. Again, not a huge amount of jeopardy. And as long as he can keep, you know, if he can improve the playing style, if he can get some of these players uh, attacking output, particularly to improve a little bit, things are going to be looking fairly rosy. He'll definitely back himself to have impressed people with his style of play, George, because that's what we talk about all the time with Ryan Lowe teams. They're great to watch. They're attacking. And that holds, you know, that's important. That holds a lot of sway. It doesn't mean it's without risks making this move. Like, you know, you often hear managers say, oh, Fergie always said, pick your chairman. 
And you're like, well, yeah, and, and, and it must be hard to leave the Argyle chairman, Simon Hallett, who I think, as chairman go, is supportive, understanding, patient. Um, it doesn't mean he's not ambitious. doesn't mean that he won't um, make the right decisions in order to improve the squad. Now, the North End situation is obviously a little less clear after the death of, of Trevor Hemmings, who's been the main man at, at Preston on that front for, for so long. And I think there's still a, it's a little unclear how things will progress on that front. And even below the, the chairman and owner. The football structures are, are very different. Argyle, very collaborative, modern system set in place by, by Simon Hallett. Um, you know, Neil Dewsnip, director of football, helping a lot with recruitment and player development. Um, and Schumacher as well, as you've mentioned, a big part of that team. Whereas at, at North End, you know, it's it's more of an old school system. It's, it's basically Peter Risdale, CEO. Um, <laughs> Lowe will be answering to him and, and he's a key decision maker for better or for worse. And I think a lot of Preston fans think probably for worse. Um, you, you know, you mentioned Schumacher being left behind. It's it's an absolutely valid concern. He's brought Mike Marsh in as his assistant, former Liverpool player, uh, England under-17 coach. You know, they might work even better than Lowe and Schumacher. Exactly. Or they might not. We, we don't know that. But the only The last thing I want to say on this, the one thing that really fits for me is the squad that he has at his disposal because... It's a Preston squad that isn't strong in every area, but is absolutely stacked with good central midfielders. Not just technical, but um, quite physical as well. And uh, you know, energetic. Tenacious. I would say. And this is a yeah. guy who plays wing backs. And at Argyle, his established wing backs were Connor Grant and uh, Edwards. And both of those players had been central midfielders before Ryan Lowe got his hands on them. So we see here, although Josh Earl who's a left-back, left-wing-back. He did start at left-wing-back today. You had Ali McCann uh, at right-wing-back with Brown inside him as the right-sided central midfield player. And, yeah, I sort of... I wasn't sure which of the central midfielders he'd be converting to a wing-back. McCann seems to be the, the, the first uh, the first experiment, so it's going to be interesting to watch that. Uh, <laughs> but it was... No, it was good to see. Uh, just from a Barnsley perspective, as mentioned, they did have spells in this game. I think, you know, I mentioned it on the betting show. I do think we've seen some improvements from Asbaggy since he came in, specifically in terms of making them much less easy to score against and take good shots against. But so far, unfortunately, it's not enough to pick up points in football matches, really. And and the situation he walked into was so dire, really, that that short-term improvement was quite important. Um, and he hasn't really picked up the points. Their next games are against West Brom, Stoke, Blackburn and Nottingham Forest, four of the better teams in the league. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised given the way that, that I think they've improved under Asbaggy if amongst those four, let's say, they take a scout. I think they could they could bloody a nose or two in, in that spell of games. But it's difficult to predict them being any closer to safety come January. And that is concerning, particularly, George, because Peterborough United picked up a valuable home win. 2-1 win against uh, Millwall from behind as well. Yeah. I mean, this is a big You sound excited. Yeah, it's. I think this is a big result. I think this is um, the kind of result that could change a season, to be honest, because Posh were floundering. Um, and you've... <laughs> I think you, there's, there's always a concern when you're getting weird noises from off the pitch. Now, I'm not by any stretch suggesting that hiring a psychologist to work with the players to improve the waveform is, is a weird noise. But it was getting to the stage where before every game, there was a new um, kind of bit coming out in terms of, of what was going on at uh, Peterborough. And it kind of culminated with Darren McAntony. Now, obviously not um, all... Um, owners or chairman in the championship have their own podcast which means that you know what McAntony says is always going to get more um coverage maybe than, than well other people don't have that platform to do so but 
you know, his words were, were pretty strong and they run out and they run up to this um, on his podcast. He said, I can't remember too many times in 98 lately where we haven't done something stupid. We made some exasperating decisions and at times it has to stop. That's not down to recruitment or whatever. It's down to individual errors. Now, if I was a posh player and my owner, my chairman was saying that on his podcast, I think I'm going to react one of two ways. Either I'm going to think, right, we've got to kind of buck up here. or I'm going to think, you know what? Like, don't throw us under the bus like that. You're not even our manager. Um, you're, you know, an owner who sits in his office in Florida most of the time. I think they're um, probably used to it by now. Yes, maybe. But it's, you know, this is consistent recently. And I feel like the home form is the one thing that's keeping Posh near safety. And being 1-0 down at home to Millwall off the back of a couple of really poor results away from home as well. Um, a defeat here could have been could have been really really damaging to their season but instead we got what we haven't seen too much from posh recently and we saw a reaction and not only a reaction because a lot of their good performances this season haven't necessarily yielded the results they deserved but we saw them pick up three points by scoring twice in five minutes both of which were created even if they weren't both scored by johnson clark harris their their, ma- their main man their talisman from last season and that's important too because i i have no doubt that the, the most chance Posh have of staying up this season is if Johnson Clark-Harris is fit and scoring, you know, he's not going to score the 25-odd goals he scored last season, but if he's fit and scoring a goal every three games or whatever, providing that focal point to their attack, because going into championship games with Suriki Dembele and Sammy Smodix and Jack Taylor as your front three, it, it is massively lacking a focal point. You know, they've, they've all got their own... Um, strengths of course but all three of those players you're basically almost playing three false nines there you've got three players who, who like to play in behind players and whose best work is done picking up the ball in, in deeper areas and so to have Clark Harris back you know he's had his issues this season um, both you know again in terms of, of of fitness and when he has played he hasn't performed so far but to have him back in the goals and playing I think is is the best chance that they've got so this is a big three points because it's three points after a bad run of form it's a reaction after a, another difficult week but also just in terms of who was the protagonist I think it puts them in much better shape great passion from you there I feel like I want to pull on a posture and put in a big performance in their next game I want Dara to hire me I'll just be you know rather than hiring a psychologist hire me just to give a team talk to the lads for each game Wow. Blackpool at home next for them and then Reading away on Boxing Day. It's a huge, huge few weeks for Peterborough. It's a good start. 21 shots to 16 here. Quite an entertaining fair at London Road. And the last winners of the Championship weekend were Derby County, who beat Blackpool 1-0. George, the usual kind of low-margin stuff in a Derby County game. They defend well for the most part, don't they? They don't create very much for the most part. And their games always seem to me to be fairly low tempo because they are at their core a team that want to have possession as well so they're they're kind of an interesting uh, visual football team uh, in recent weeks they have been picking up many points but uh, on this occasion they fell on the right side of it here thanks to a, a new name for us yeah are you going to say the name no because I want to say it in a French accent and I'm not allowed to why not Le Planche Planche especially because his first name begins with a le so it's Le Planche Je veux plonger beaucoup de buts <laughs> interestingly can you say it in a romanian accent because in romanian it means cry does it yeah i of all the stupid things i've done on this podcast (laughs) attempting a romanian accent (laughs) not gonna happen lovely place romania i had a good uh good weekend in cluj a few years ago god it seems like a (laughs) seems like a long time ago now um knee deep in cluj there's a there's a very very good there's a very good rooftop bar in cluj if anyone ever uh is going there in in the in the 
near or long-term future. Let me know. Luke, I hope the, I hope it, Luke, I hope Plonge, it's still going. Luke Plonge has tuned into this. He's waited 43 minutes and he's like, lads, get on with it. Um, amazing. I mean, the, the best thing about this Luke Plange story, I love his name, um, is that he was signed last year after a trial, having been released from Arsenal. And he was signed for the under-23 side um, and then started scoring loads of goals for them. And when Derby tried to promote him to the first team, they were told that he wasn't allowed to play. He was ineligible because he was signed during the transfer embargo. He was signed for the 23s, not for the senior team. So they've had a they've had this wrangling with the EFL over the last three or four weeks where Rooney's like, we don't have any players. You know, we signed this guy in a free transfer. Um, please can we play him? And the EFL have eventually come up with an agreement to allow him to play. So he's... The only reason he's only coming to the side now is because of, of red tape. Um, and he's come in. This is his first start. And he's got a massive goal in order to win a, to win a home game. Which red, is big. And red hot. Red hot, red tape. Le Blanche. And they, um, and you know, it was probably, the you know, I don't know how many goals Luke Plange is going to score in, in his career. But this will be one of the easiest he's ever going to score. Just tapping in um, after a, a rebound off the post. But in terms of significance, it could be massive. I keep coming back to the championship table and thinking there are quite a lot of bad teams in the championship and Derby are 17 points off. And we're now far enough into the season where like, the numbers, the underlying numbers and Derby, Derby's points record has them as kind of a mid-table side. It doesn't take loads of improvement to get them there. They're only nine points short of, of Barnsley. Like, are we relegating Barnsley now? I think you just get a bit of amnesia sometimes, George, where like the last time we spoke about Derby, they'd beaten <laughs> Bournemouth 3-2. It was amazing. It was amazing. But that was over three weeks ago now. And in the meantime, they picked up one point from three games. You can't. They, they can't afford to pick up one point from three games ever again this season. So... So what you're saying is they picked up seven points from five games, which isn't the That's worst. That's not going to get them to, to where they need to be, mate. We've just I mean, we've not, been through not, this. It's not they miles need to off. be a top yeah. six side. Yeah, no, but didn't didn't the the um, arbitrator Hugh Davis say actually, lads, that's incorrect? I'll let I Hugh think, Davis think, track our. I'll let him track I think our. He's NT- done the mathematics. I'll let him track was... our betting show picks, right? But when it comes, we to we are this... here. We're here to make the EFL an exciting, vibrant place to enjoy your football. Stop relegating teams in December. <laughs> the dream is on, uh, unless Wayne really ends up as Everton manager in a couple of weeks. Um, oh wow! You know, I think, I think, um, I think Rooney's. Had you thought about yeah. that? Jesus Christ! Football. I mean, he, he would definitely be the favourite if if Rafa Benitez gets sacked. Who's who's Rafa Benitez? Oh, he's that guy who won the league with Newcastle all those years ago. I forgot about him. Um, Good manager at this level. Been there, done it. Yeah, maybe he should go to Derby. Hmm. Um, I uh, yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but these are the results. All that Derby fans can ask for, all they can wish for, well, apart from a new owner, um, is that come February they're what ten points behind. And then that just gives them a chance of going on one of those mazy runs. You know, we've seen a Derby side under Rooney before go on a, a winning a winning streak. And just the key part for me is that they they are not the twenty fourth, twenty seventh, twenty third, or probably twenty second worst team in the league. And that gives them a chance. Their bench on the weekend because of a COVID outbreak consisted of Big Richard Stearman, uh, who didn't make it on. Uh, two 20-year-olds and four teenagers. And that included, obviously, in their starting 11, four under-21 starters as well. Um, yeah, I, I don't mean to... I mean, one of, the, one of, one of those teenagers is, is Louis Sibley, who we have a fair bit of time no, for. No, he's one of the 20-year-olds, actually, mate. And he didn't come on. Shoot. So there you go. Um, 
Uh, Are you saying they, they should cash in on one of the teenagers? Yeah. Yeah. Cash it's in. Here and cash in. He came on, didn't he? <laughs> oh, I, he's not teenager. He's 20 as well. I do, yeah, exactly. <laughs> cash in and Sibley with, with the second and third oldest players on that bench. I don't want to poo-poo Derby's chances of, promo- of promotion, of uh, staying up. I'm very impressed with what's happening there. In good faith, I can't just raise expectations there. But I, but I, but you know what? I'm glad you have because then between us, one of us will be right, and hopefully it'll be me. Uh, there were six draws in the championship. Hopefully it'll be you, so you want them to go down? No. <laughs> George, there were six draws in the championship and one postponed game tonight's between QPR and Sheffield United. What was your favourite of the six draws? Favourite of the draws? Yeah, favourite of the draws. Throw him under the bus here. I normally just just ignore the draws. Half um, a dozen draws. I think favorite of the draws. Don't have Birmingham to have a Cardiff, favorite. probably. Yeah. I think probably Birmingham Cardiff. Good game. I mean, it was it was it was certainly the best game as a as a neutral. I think it's one of those games where both managers. I mean, Steve Morrison will be delighted to have got the winner very late on, but he might feel like on the balance of play, his side could have could have won could have won it. I think the probably one of the best pre-assists of the season from from Sarkic, an absolutely remarkable goal kick, where if he's meant to do it and and, and uh, find Riley McGree just inside Cardiff's half, who then lays it on for Dini with, with a very good finish as well, is, is impressive. Last week, got, last week, talking about Blues, I said I'd like to see Dini playing in the 10 behind Duke and Hogan because although I like Riley McGree's uh, tenacity and his goal threat, I'm not sure he's a very good creative passer and he got two assists. Mm. I mean, the, the issue with the issue with McGree is that he is leaving in January. Mm. Um, he's going back. He's on loan currently from uh, Charlotte FC. He's betrothed to Charlotte. And, you know, Boya has said they're going to do whatever they can to keep him at the club. But um, in his own words, he's basically Charlotte's best player who hasn't played for them yet. So the chances <laughs> they, they, of them... They haven't played a game yet. <laughs> They've never played. They're one of the new franchises. It's I know. amazing. That's what I mean. I know, but that's one of the reasons why he's one of their best players is because they, well, yeah. they don't have very many. Mate, you're, you're laughing at Lee Bowyer here, not not me. I'd never, um, laugh. I'd never laugh at Lee Bowyer. Certainly not yeah, if I was it, his teammate it, playing against yet. Aston Villa in the 2000s. <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> I want to shout out, it. my favourite game was Huddersfield 1, Coventry 0 because Jody Jones came off the bench and got a really mm. nice assist for Coventry. Jody Jones is a fabulous footballer who... Four or five years ago, I saw as being a potential star of the EFL and beyond, who has suffered, I think, something like three ACL injuries in the most traumatic of circumstances. One of them certainly was literally like just after he'd returned from the one before. Um, the, the the idea in my head of the of the mental difficulty of going through that while being a professional footballer is, I mean, I just have a huge amount of respect for anyone coming through it, coming through it again, coming through it again. Uh, I have respect for Coventry City for retaining his services and I'm really excited about the fact that he's just contributed to a goal in the championship because it was his first, it was an assist, but it was his first goal contribution for three years, over three years and it'd be great to see more of that. And there's an argument that Callum O'Hare could use a, a, a little bit of a rest or just a little bit of a lessening of the creative burden on him and, and Jones could be the one to do that. Let's talk League One. I have to start with a, a Rotherham apology. Uh, I'll never apologise for picking Rotherham to win the title in uh, in the summer and being told that I was mad. But I will apologise for incorrectly on Quest on Saturday. And I like to think uncharacteristically 
giving <laughs> Richard Wood... This is an amazing apology. ...giving Richard Wood a sensational through-ball defence-splitting assist for the Dapo second, uh, when actually it was Romani Ed- Edmonds-Green. And as soon as someone tweeted me about it, I was like, that makes so much sense, because that wouldn't have made any sense for Richard Wood to do that. But it does make a lot of sense for Romani Edmonds-Green. And to the person who tweeted... be a politician, tweeted, I think. Why do they get these people on who know nothing? I'm sorry, mate. I'm I'm very very sorry about that. This is um, so. To be clear, your apology was firstly self-justification of a previous stance, and then justification of your current stance, and then mocking one of the people who had a go at you. I haven't mocked anyone, mate. I just apologised to him. He uh, okay, that was sincere. That last one. Yeah, always. I've never I've never <laughs> been sarcastic in my life, on or off pod. Uh, 20 games unbeaten for Rotherham United. There's little else to say at this point other than wow and other than George, please can we compare our diaries and book a date to go to the New York Stadium and watch this Rotherham side love that. in the flesh. You up for I that? I would love that. Yes, definitely. Um, I've kind of, I feel like I need to chill on the on the Rotherham thing a bit because yeah. I keep saying I think they're going to win by 20, points, um, oh, I which I still 10. think they might do. 20? That's no, gone up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it went up. Um, no, the 20 was a bit of an exaggeration, uh, but they are, yeah, they're superb. I mean, this wasn't necessarily one of their best performances of the season either, um, to be honest. Ladapo, um, the difference, you know, they didn't give Burton a great deal, but Burton probably created more than most teams will at Rotherham. Um, but they were still able to ease clear. They're just, they're just so good. They're so slick, um, in terms of the way that they operate, they know exactly what they're doing. Um, and it's anyone making a case, you know, I, kind of tongue-in-cheek tweeted about them winning the league by 20 points on Saturday afternoon. And a couple of people, namely Sunderland fans, which I was kind of surprised, well, surprised and not surprised about because, you know, they, they, they're they not currently in my head as, as the likely challenges to, to Rotherham um, for top spot necessarily, even if they have uh, moved up alongside um, those others behind. Um, I think there are still some issues there. Um, kind of doubting whether or not it was the case. And one of them said, you know, they're going to go on a bad spell soon. Well, can I refer you back to the start of the season where they lost two of their first four games? Uh, sorry, three of their first five games. So they've possibly already had it. And that's the only reason why they aren't miles clear now because they are so, so good. I think it would have to take something significant to see them fall away. You know, it would be, it would be Paul Warren leaving. It would be a massive injury crisis. There just doesn't seem any reason why they would because you know, they're not one of these sides as a very good first team and then and then not much to come off the bench. You know, you look at the players on the bench, they've got Ogbene, who we know has been very good, Miller, who's played his part this season, Coyote, who's a player that I think you and I both wish we could see more of playing for Rotherham, but because Smith and Ladapo are so good, we don't see them enough. Um, Wiles and Barlasser have been fantastic. Rathbone's been a brilliant addition. Wood, Ferguson, Hickwin, Evans, Green, as rock solid a back four as you're going to get. It's all just so well-drilled and solid. Um and this was just another case where they, you know, they didn't really get out of a, a six, seven out of ten performance for them, but they were able to to see off a, a mid-table League One side with minimal fuss. You know Richard Osman's House of Games. Have you ever watched that? I, I, yes, I have. It's the sort of yeah. thing when you were at uni, you'd have watched every single day. I've no doubt about that. So on Richard Osman's House of Games, and bear with me here, it's worth it. There's a regular round called Answer Smash. And Answer Smash is where there'll be... I'm reading from Wikipedia here just so that I can explain this. You have to smash answers together to create one answer. So there'll be a picture of, for example, this is what Wikipedia say, of Mr. Stink. And if the answer to the question was Tinky Winky, the answer the players would have to give is 
Mr. Stinky Winky. So you smash together two answers. And I'm going to play an EFL version of this, George. So I'm going to give you okay. uh, two things and you're going to smash the answer together. I'm going to leave a... I'd like to leave a 10-second gap for the listeners to also try and come up with it as well. So I'll... Okay. I'll, I'll sort of motion to you when you can answer. So have a think about this. The two, uh, the two things are Rotherham United striker who scored two at the weekend, Bolton Wanderers best attacking player. Freddie Ladapo Afalayan. Oh, it's so good. I knew you'd be good at that. Well Thank done you. to you at home for playing along and getting that as well. Good stuff. I, I, I'm... Imagining loads of people sitting on buses or sitting at home on their sofa, more likely at their desk, just saying that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Freddie Ladapo Afalayan. Now, um, the obvious thing to say at this point is, have you got some spare time on your hands this week? Do you like quizzes and the EFL? Would you be interested, anyone, in finding out a couple more EFL answer smashes, answer smashes and sending them on to me? And perhaps either on Twitter or potentially on a future podcast, I could run a, a quiz segment all about EFL answer smashes. Um, thanks for bearing with me. Well done, Rotherham. Good win. Great win as well for Sunderland, uh, who beat Plymouth Argyle 2-1. And I have only positive things to say about this Sunderland performance display win. Uh, mm. I had this one on in Quest. Firstly, the first 20 minutes, sensational. They absolutely blitzed Argyle. Long old journey, isn't it, from Plymouth to Sunderland. And whether or not Lee Johnson specified that it would be good to just really go for the throats early on, it was the right thing to do. That The first goal, a nice training ground corner routine, albeit kind of terrible defending I'm not sure I in an ideal world a ball would just roll quite slowly across your penalty box when you've got at least eight players defending it um, and then of course Broadhead's back heel as well playing with such confidence at the moment and I think becoming such a key part of this Sunderland team and he's not the only one I think you know we were we were quite excited initially about some of their signings from the last uh, well from the summer and January at the start of the season it was all about Stewart, wasn't it? And Callum Doyle had settled in really well. Um, and Carl Winchester was coming to the fore as well. Uh, and now it's about some of the guys they also signed in the summer who have taken a bit of time but are now becoming key personnel. So Pritchard, um, just such, just too good for League One, um, that's for sure, on the ball. Broadhead in the goals. Dejaku as well has looked really good the last two games. Uh, it's really exciting stuff. Dan Neal, obviously the, the gem through the academy, who's, uh, I think he's got the joint most assists or second most assists in League One scored a nice goal here as well just um, very on brand just passing it into the net there but it's not just the start of the game I was impressed with I was impressed with the last half an hour as well George because Argyle pulled one back from a set piece Dan Scar heading in from a couple of yards there was still half an hour to go there Argyle a good side whether or not their manager just left them for Preston North End and in the EFL when you're 2-0 up and you go to one up you concede one with half an hour to go Anecdotally, I would say a very large percentage of teams get nervy. A very large percentage mm. of teams drop in. A very large percentage of teams invite pressure onto themselves. Dare I say, it, increase the opportunity for the opposition to uh, get a chance inside the box, or even just get a bit of luck uh, or score a long shot. It's so easy to get nervy, isn't it? But from that point, Argyle only had two shots. Sunderland had five. Really impressive mentality. Really impressive the way they saw that one out. I'm just going to say impressive one more time. Really impressive <laughs> win for Sunderland. Uh, I don't know if you have anything to add on that front or whether you wanted to just touch on Argyle and their new manager, Stephen Schumacher. 
yeah, I think given what I just said about Sunderland a second ago, not being in my mind as being the ones to challenge Rotherham. I mean, that's got nothing to do with their, their form in the last week and a half. I mean, they've been sensational. They were by far the better side against Oxford uh, the Saturday before last weekend. They completely tore apart Morecambe in midweek and then they've made a, a very good Plymouth Argyle side look distinctly average for the most part of a game on the weekend. Um, so, you know, certainly on the form of those three games, um, there, there's a lot to be positive about as a Sunderland fan. I just have just, you know, it's Lee Johnson. I, I have... I have very little doubt that there's going to be another spell between now and May where they're going to go on a run of a few games where they're not going to pick up many points because that's what seems to happen with Lee Johnson. And it's what, you know, I think they were fairly fortunate to pick up as many points as they did over the, that little run they had where the performances weren't so good before this one. So that's kind of what I meant there. But they were, you know, there's there's, there's nothing you can say. Um, there's nothing you can it, say negative. that can't be sung. Correct. It's um, easy. There's nothing you can say that can't be sung about how good they've been in the last 10 days. Uh, for Argyle, you know, it's, we don't know much about Steven Schumacher beyond the fact that he's been part of the very, very good setup there previously. The Ferrari setup. Oh, no, sorry, Steven Schumacher. You mentioned um, Simon Hallett there, but Andy, uh, sorry, Andrew Parkinson is the CEO who kind of makes all the day-to-day decisions. He'd have been the one who decided to do what he could to keep Schumacher there. And, and I think that that vote of confidence towards Schumacher and what he's done and, and his role to play is, is positive. I watched their um, his first game in charge against MK Dons and I was impressed in parts. You know, they they looked to to keep the ball a lot, more so I would say than necessarily necessary under Ryan Lowe. You know, and even at the Stadium of Light being 2-0 down is gonna is gonna help this, but they had over 50% possession. Not many teams go to Sunderland and have more of the ball than them as well. So um yeah I it's early days. It's it's been a very very hard uh, opening couple of fixtures. It's frustrating for for Schumacher that he came in as well at a time where they were coming off the back of three consecutive league defeats. Um, they now it doesn't get much easier. They play the form team in the league and Charlton at home next up or one of the form teams, uh, and then it gets a couple of winnable games after that away at Cheltenham and then hosting uh, Pompey and, and Wimbledon. So I think by the kind of mid-Jan, we'll have a better idea of, of what Schumacher is all about. But this does feel like the kind of run, especially with low leaving, that could derail any unlikely promotion uh, campaign. Mm, it's a, a classic. Uh, I don't know if it's a fence-sit for me, but it's a little from column A, a little from column B. I think it's an amazing opportunity for him. I think that uh, to get your first job in charge of a League One team in the playoff places with a great uh, owner and a great setup, and I know we keep saying that, and it feels like we're being employed by Argyle to say that, but we're not. We just have a lot of time for it. It's a great opportunity for Schumacher, um, and it's a squad of players that he knows and who presumably like him, and yeah, it's 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 great for him to to move into the hot seat. It's also potentially a bit of a hiding to nothing uh, in the short term. Just in terms of the fan base, it's going to be a difficult one for them if, as you suggested there, let's say Schumacher is good but not incredible and they play like a mid-table side for the rest of the season, which compared to their pre-season expectations would not be a failure really. That would see them drop out of the playoffs. Let's say this is all hypothetical, they finish 10th. What would be the overview of, of Schumacher uh, from the fans there? It's difficult to say, but mm. have, they've had that taste of automatic promotion excitement. And I think it's quite hard to, as a fan with emotions uh, generally at the forefront, to accept a sort of change in mentality towards like, oh, well, we might need a few months for him to get his feet under the table and to get into rhythm. So it's a difficult one. Good to see Niall Ennis back, by the way. 
young striker that we uh, had high hopes for, who, you know, with Jeffka and Hardy scoring goals to start the season, uh, he, he's been sitting there watching out injured, but he's back now and that should help them. Uh, Wigan and Ipswich drew one all. It's a spicy affair, this one. First time Wigan hadn't won on a Saturday in the league since opening day, which is a yeah. great stat. I think for Ipswich, it's just important to equalise, even though, again, not a hugely impressive performance. Uh, they've got Sunderland this weekend. Will there be a new man in the dugout? Let's wait and see. A big win away from home for a team called Oxford United, who I've not I've not heard of before. They'd be MK yeah, Dons. Yeah, MK Dons 2-1. This was a week, George, where um, the well, everyone seemed to ask the question, are Oxford United under the radar? Uh, and I thought George will be delighted because that's we where, are the radar. That's where every fan is desperate to be <laughs> while also wanting more credit. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, if I'm going to be fair, what I just said about Sunderland probably has to apply to Oxford as well, where, um, you know, if we follow Kai Robinson's managerial career, these very, very good runs um, are constant throughout. And there are normally spells where Oxford are, are fairly poor. Um, and, you know, if you look at the, the season so far, Oxford have lost four games this season and three of those came within a month of each other. Um at the back end of August and the beginning of, of um, September. Apart from that, they've been one of the best teams in the division. Uh, and I think the, the key thing here, the difference with this Oxford side possibly and, and previous Oxford sides, remember that you know they have finished um, in the playoffs for the last two campaigns, is that they're not losing games to teams around them anymore. And that's key. You know, they went to Sunderland and were, were worse off than Sunderland, but got the point. They hosted Rotherham with only 13 players available and were under the cosh for, for the whole thing and got a point. They've gone to MK Dons here and they've been 1-0 down against a side who are also fighting to be in that kind of playoff, wanting to be in the race for second. I don't know if they're going to get their picture. Went one behind and then put in a good performance in the second half to win it 2-1. These are not the kind of results we've seen Oxford get in recent seasons and is why I think a lot of Oxford fans are wondering if this might be different. They were helped out massively. There's no denying that at all. I thought Andrew Fisher's performance in goal was... Um, you know, I mentioned that Swansea need a new keeper. Fish has been linked, uh, unsurprisingly, due to his relationship with Russell Martin, but he was appalling here. Um, he nearly gifted Oxford a goal early on. He then should have done better with Matt Taylor's header, kind of squirming in under him at the near post. And then it was his own mistake playing out from the back that, that gave um, Mark Sykes uh, an easy opportunity to get the winner. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why Mark, Mark Sykes decided to take his shirt off, given he was wearing the same colour Under Armour underneath. It seemed a fairly pointless yellow card to get. Um, but that is just a footnote in what is another brilliant performance, One great result for, for Oxford. Probably in the top 10 scrawniest players in the in League One yeah. as well. Um, I didn't, I mean, you can tell me if this is my, I try my hardest not to be biased when it comes to, to looking at Oxford, but it seemed like a fairly harsh second yellow for Jordan Thornley, which is a, a, a frustration, I think, for Oxford because um, they've been so, had to patch up the, the defensive side of things over the last couple of weeks. So to lose Thornley, you know, Thornley and more certainly the, the desired duo to lose him for a game is, isn't ideal. But um, yeah, I was very concerned about how Oxford would deal with the loss of, of Alex Gorin, not having a a, um, a holding midfielder to, to play with against the better sides. But if anything, the performances have been better against those sides. So uh, impressive and, and certainly daring to dream as it is at the moment. Sheffield Wednesday beat Crewe, uh, two great goals scored, one from Barry Bannon and one from Lee Gregory. Uh, and a sensational double save from Bailey Peacock-Farrell means that despite the 2-0 win, 
this one can't be categorised as regulation because uh, if if not for Peacock Farrell, <clears throat> it would have been one one, and who knows what would have happened after that. Um, I always want to shout out keepers who don't dive for penalties. I think they should be given more credit. But, and the only time you can do that is when they actually save one. Uh, because it's it's an easier life for a keeper, isn't it? To, to pick a side and dive. And, you know, if it goes down the middle, you don't look that stupid. If you don't dive and it goes in the corner, you do look very stupid. If you don't dive and it goes straight at your legs and you save it, clever, basically. Mm. And the follow-up save was sensational. Chris Porter had scored... 20 of 22 penalties in his whole career, including 12 from 12 for Crew, uh, And Peacock Farrell's own penalty saving record is absolutely sensational. I think it's seven that he's faced for club and country this season. Uh, only two of them have gone in. So there you go. That's quite a handy man to have in goal. Uh, Portsmouth, handy man in goal. That's quite nice. Didn't even mean that. Um, Portsmouth 2, Morecambe 0. Uh, this one... Probably more in the regulation category, and Marcus Harness is is uh, is the one that I want to talk about because he scored the first goal. It's his ninth league goal of the season, his highest goal scoring season already, uh, establishing himself as one of the league's best attacking players and someone whose future I will be watching with interest. My thinking on Harness is, <clears throat> well, here are the the facts. This season for Portsmouth, he's their biggest goal threat and their biggest creative threat. Uh, best uh, expected assist per 90 record for Pompey. He's such an intelligent player uh, in terms of the positions that he takes up, drifting around the pitch to combine with fullbacks, um, but doing business in the, in the number 10 role as well. Uh, clearly can score with both feet. Uh, he scored a couple of really nice goals from the edge of the box. Whenever I think of a harness goal, it tends to be a sort of low finish from the edge, but also uh, here, you know, gambling, running right into the six-yard box to tap in. Uh, and he hasn't got many assists this season, but he is a smart passer as well. He's just the sort of attacking player, I think, that fits in any team, that basically any team, uh, if you were to sign him, there'd be no worries about, well, what's could we change our style of play? Could we change our formation? And, and all of a sudden, Harness um, would be less effective in that. I, I don't think so. I think because he's such a, a smart player, savvy operator and technical as well. Um, yeah, he's the one for me for Pompey. I think he's been excellent uh, recently. And they're on such a good run, Pompey. But I, I, I do just want to mention the fixtures they've had have not been the hardest. I know they've drawn with Wednesday and they drew with Wickham. Or did they beat Wickham? I can't remember. They have played those two teams in this mm. run. But in general, it's been a um, a preferable run of fixtures, right? So I guess I'm trying not to get too carried away, but I am excited about what I'm seeing. Uh, but tougher tests to come for Pompey. George, uh, Charlton 2, Cambridge nil. Jackson, 10 games in all comps, 7 wins. No one's ever won that many games in their first 10 games as Charlton <sighs> manager. What a manager. What a man. Uh, it's Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it's, you know, I'm not going to... Not going to focus on it too much because it's boring, but I just can't believe we're not sitting here talking about how he's been appointed permanent manager. Um, if I was Johnny Jackson, I'd be half tempted to turn around and say, you know what, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to take this record and I'm going to go and get myself another League One job. Um, obviously, his ties to the club um, and I'm sure his adoration of the club means that is not going to happen. Um, but it is amazing what he's doing. And this was another decent display. I thought Cambridge... Um, gave Charlton more of a game than, than plenty of teams have re in recent times at the Valley. Uh, Sam Smith had a couple of very good opportunities at 1-0 to, to draw them level. Connor Washington um, playing just so well. I mean, he's obviously just got so much confidence at the moment doing what he hasn't done in the EFL for a long time, being being very prolific. And him and Stockley have got such a good 
partnership up top. And I just love how you know they've got so many good ball players in this team with, with Gilby and Lee playing as a midfield duo with with Dobson in behind them. Um, there's just a lot to like you in a lot of ways that that Charlton can hurt you. I mean, Johnny Jackson's also got Sean Clare playing well as a right-sided centre-back, which, um, given his time at Oxford, I did not think was necessarily going to be a, a position where he would flourish. But, um, you know, he's got everyone putting in the right direction. It just seems crazy that he isn't their permanent manager yet. And they're a team now who, you look at the table and they're they're up in 11th on 29 points. You know, there is a big gap at the moment between uh, 9th and 10th, a five-point gap. But Charlton's, the way that Charlton are going, um, they look to be the team kind of outside that group who could rise up uh, into the playoffs. And with Jackson there, you know, it feels like giving him the Thomas Angard could make himself the most popular. I mean, it's not it's not a very hard thing to do, but the most popular Charlton owner in a long time just by making this one decision. So I'm not entirely sure how it hasn't happened yet. Connor Washington at the double, two very smart finishes. I noticed that per Opta analyst, <clears throat> he is fourth in the league for XG per 90. Um, and that has mostly come in the Jackson era. One of a couple of players, well, more than a couple, really, uh, a dozen players, you'd say, that uh, Jackson has breathed new life into. You know, I have these, I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes thinking about Connor Washington playing left wing uh, in a in a four-two-three-one. It's just not the one, is it? Uh, and I wake up with a smile on my face when I think of Connor Washington playing in a front two in this uh, very exciting sort of three-one-four-two with Stockley up front as well. Very good foil for, well, to allow Washington to do what he does best, running behind, gamble, uh, get a lot of chances, doesn't always take them, sometimes he does, uh, presses like a madman, uh, good good player at this level, that's for sure. And I think his Washington's one of those players who, because he had a few years in the, in the championship where he didn't play that much, when he did, he didn't score that much. I think people have forgotten that at this level, he is still uh, a, you know, a sort of top-tier striker, I think. Uh, McGillivray at the other end has made some big saves in, in Jackson's era so far. Definitely one notable one when I was at the Valley for their game against Rotherham when they were 1-0 down. McGillivray with a brilliant save. Uh, they went on to draw that game and here, as you mentioned, some big saves from Sam Smith. Uh, I enjoyed his quote after the game, McGillivray. He was given some praise and he just said, that's my job though, isn't it? That's my job. <laughs> saves. Um, yes. But yeah, I kind of want to go big on Cambridge here despite a 2-0 defeat. Uh, I thought Cambridge were going to get relegated at the start of the season. I probably thought that there was still a good chance they'd get relegated. And then this weekend, I went, Cambridge aren't going to get relegated in my head. That's changed. They're not going to get relegated. And if they don't, that's another 10 out of 10 job from Mark Bonner, to be honest. Um, But let's wait until they win a game and we can go even bigger on them. Uh, I want to mention Accrington's 1-0 win against Bolton. Uh, young Tommy Lee, who they signed from Bognor Regis in the summer, getting another goal. Sort of weird, bouncy, loopy header. Um, and Bolton's form is is horrendous. A lot of people, George, uh, can't help but notice their uh, position in the table before Ian Everett said he thought they were the best team in the league, which he loves to do. And now their form since he said that and draw um, some conclusions about the motivation of the players or their response to hearing that. I think there's... Um, probably some some kind of uh, leaping to conclusions there, but there's no doubt that all's not well uh, compared to the start of the season. I bet Inevit is so bored of hearing people talking about him saying that. I am. So don't say I'm it then, mate. Yeah, don't I'm say it. it. You know, don't say it. Um, yeah, it's Bolton have been have been really poor, and this was another bad bad performance from them. They they didn't particularly look that threatening. Um, Accrington won the shot count. 18 to 8 
um, and had lots of chances themselves. And this is an Accrington side who haven't been in the best form recently, who were, were, were beaten by FC Wimbledon um, in midweek. And again, looking at the table now, Bolton's demise um, can't really be overplayed. They're, they're in 15th. They are on 26 points. They're seven points clear of the relegation zone. Most some of those teams, well, pretty much all of those teams, except for Cambridge below them, have a game in hand on them. Um, and their form is incredibly poor. Their only good results recently have come against two of the poorest sides in the division at their poorest in, in Fleetwood uh, and Doncaster, both at home and then Crewe. Their, their last three home wins <laughs> have been, uh, so their last three wins in the league have been home to Crewe, Donny and Fleetwood, the three teams who occupy the the bottom three places in the uh, in the league. Uh, no, the bottom two. And Fleetwood have now climbed out of the relegation zone after that, but at the time, certainly. So it's, um, there's very little to be um, to be excited about. You know, Afalayan's early season form was always unlikely to to be maintained through the season. He came out of the side due to injury, and, and you know he struggled to recreate that. Doyle's struggles in front of goal in League One continue, which which is, is pretty bizarre. Um, but there, there's nothing that I'm seeing on the pitch to suggest that Bolton are going to suddenly uh, turn this. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be this bad uh, going forward, but there's nothing in their performances that says, yeah, this is a good team, just not getting the rub of the green at the moment. They are playing very, very poorly. Good news for Dapo Afalain is that he was used in the Not The Top 20 podcast inaugural House of Games answer smash uh, just Mm. 20 minutes or so ago. So that'll be a big boost for him to kick off this week. Fleetwood, you mentioned, uh, they have climbed out of it. They did so with a 2-1 win against Gillingham this weekend. Gills have now lost five games in a row. Steve Evans is miserable. The fan base are miserable everyone's miserable and on the pitch they are miserable at the moment and it feels like they're just a guaranteed three points uh, or they have been at least over the last three weeks or so. Now, it did need some quality uh, from Fleetwood in order to get the goals and it came from this kid, Paddy Lane. Paddy Lane is in my ears and in ears my team. In my... There's an old music reference for you, mate. <laughs> you know I love <laughs> them. Uh, yeah. he... Your... your, um, your kind of idea of time I think means you think that the Beatles and the Lightning Seeds are from kind of the same era yeah big time and yeah, <laughs> the pre-me era I call it it's like it's like BC anyway I BA Paddy Lane's BAM BAM Pad, Paddy Lane's left-footed in-swinging crosses uh, possibly in my top five favourite things from the weekend I was going to say my favourite thing but a lot of cool things happened uh, he has seven assists in League One in nine starts. It's the joint most assists in the league. He's a 20-year-old Northern Irishman who they signed from Hyde United in the seventh tier, the Northern Prem. And I, I just I can't believe it. I don't know if it's just a massive flash in the pan, but the <clears throat> quality in this kid's left peg, specifically with these in-swinging crosses, is impossible to defend against. An absolute joy for any attacking players because all you have to do is just touch it. It's going to go in. And I'm so excited about this. Uh, it, mm. it feels like a great, a great part of the English football pyramid that you could have someone stepping up four divisions uh, and doing something quite like this at his age. Uh, a really positive afternoon for Fleetwood. They had five academy graduates in the starting eleven. That's not including Lane, of course. Uh, so yeah, a real positive afternoon. And I guess they'll feel that under Stephen Craney, is their legs in having a team of 50% academy graduates and Paddy Lane and staying up at, in this division. Maybe not, but they're playing better than they were at the end of Simon Grayson's tenure. Now they're above the dotted line. And, and as we know, mm. there's quite a few poor teams in the division. So they'll be feeling positive, uh, as will Doncaster Rovers fans. I shouldn't have left this till last, George. Donny Wynn, 
Let's not get carried away by the performance. Let's not even debate whether they deserved it or not. Donny win, and that's a big thing. It is a big thing, and, and I didn't expect them to win either. You know, they hosted Shrewsbury. I was, I was impressed with Shrewsbury's performance in midweek against Wigan. They gave them a real game. Um, but here, Doncaster were way better, you know, having come close to getting a point against Oxford where they you know, they wouldn't have deserved it. Um here they were good value for their win you know it came from a set piece of course and Shrewsbury had their own chances they've got some serious issues scoring on the road uh, their opposition but um still to to go and get a clean sheet um for Oluru to get the goal um it, it's a big performance and you know I still think there is a long way to go um before Doncaster um can can see themselves getting out of this mess and the managerial appointment is still so so important as to who they do bring in um, I see Graham Coughlin, I think, is currently the bookies' favourite, which would not particularly inspire too much confidence. But, um, yeah, certainly just getting three points. I, mean, I think in that transition time between two managers, getting as many points on the board as you can possibly um, is, is crucial. And that will give them, you know, they've been in free fall. So it'll give them some belief that they can um, put a, a bit of run and form together. Not talking about the League One draws this weekend is only a blow for Jack Radoni and Teddy Bishop, both of whom scored Rudy. brilliant uh, braces in their draws. Jack Rodoni for Wimbledon has the fourth highest XG per 90 in League One per Opta analyst. He's the only player in the top 10 or 15 names that isn't a number nine. And it's pretty astonishing this guy's, I was going to say his eye for goal, but it's more like a nose for goal. He's just sniffing out chances from that attacking <laughs> midfield position. And, and the second goal, a thumping header as well. But I, I didn't, that wasn't even my preferred brace of the weekend in League One because Teddy Bishop's huh. finishes were absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I mean, that first he, one is... One of them he passed into the top sumptuous. corner. One of them he passed into the far corner. Uh, absolutely sensational. League Two, George, had a weekend. and uh, Are we well, going to talk about a draw? Why? Was it, was there a good one? Yeah, it was an all right one. What just was a, it? Just a, just a little five-all. What? Five-five. Oldham five, Forest Green Rovers five. Yes. Five all by the 78th minute and unfortunately no goals in the last 15 minutes. Correct. What Five the hell? goals scored by Oldham at 0.86 XG. Have you got any analysis of this game? Because I've been struggling. Well, I mean, I, I just gave away my best line, really. Um, <laughs> Oldham scored some um, some great goals. I mean, Davis Keeler done uh, is certainly good for a good strike, isn't he? Gets wow. more likely to score the further away from goal he is. If, if anyone is um, listening from Sky Sports News to this, uh, to this, um, you're spelling his name wrong. It's annoying me a bit. Spelling Every time he scores, spelling it wrong and saying it wrong. So oh it comes up on the video printer as Kelly Dunn. And Jeff, you know, as he would, says Kelly Dunn. Um, Keeler, Keeler lads, K-E-I-L-L-O-R. Uh, and he's not going anywhere. You know, he's going to keep scoring these goals. He's going to keep popping up on the video printer. So, wow. um, yeah, he is... I mean, it's it's such a funny one with Oldham where they've got two players in Keeler Dunn and Bahambula who have such different qualities, but are both complete mavericks and can produce moments of absolute magic out of nothing. And that is their total reliance in terms of their attacking output. Uh, Hallam Hope came off the bench and, and gave them a completely different presence up front um, after Luamba um, started the game up top. I have a feeling Hope is now going to continue yeah. to play. That double play substitution there. is what, that was the only bit of analysis I had was that Hope and Stobbs coming on seemingly yeah. made quite a big difference. So well done to uh, Ben Ashore, Mr. Ben I mean, Ashore for that. It does feel like I think Oldham under Selim Ben Ashore are going to be pretty fun. Um, you know, even their their one nil defeat 
in midweek was a was a pretty yeah. crazy game. Um, I made the mistake of saying on Quest something like, quite impressed with how Benishaw's doing at Oldham so far. And understandably, quite a few messages from Oldham fans saying, maybe got one point from three games. What the hell are you talking about? But I wasn't really thinking of just results no. i was thinking about performance levels he's certainly been a better start than i expected yeah same same i mean forest green should have won this one easily if, if we're honest um and there'll be a massive frustration with, with rob edwards that, that not only have they thrown away two points but it also shows um you know, that they felt like an impenetrable team in the same way that rotherham did in league one and this just flares up some hope i think amongst all the chasing pack that maybe this isn't tied up and maybe you know this is a forest green side who we've we've said before when they're top of the table around this time of year yep they look well set to go well and these players were in you know this is basically the same squad as the squad who were top of the table last december and ended up falling out and not even finishing in the playoffs so he won't want any concern there amongst the, the, the playing staff that's happened again I mean there were still some amazing performances from Forest Green I mean Kenny Wilson despite scoring the own goal that ended up costing them the game um, was so creative again and played brilliantly Matt and Stevens doing what they do Aitchison really starting to make a name for himself in behind uh, which means that Evan Adams is now playing in a more withdrawn role which I'm, I'm not necessarily sure suits him but certainly with Aitchison playing the way he is it seems to suit Forest Green um, but you know they conceded six goals on the road this season before this game and then they conceded five in one game so um it's hard to really know where where they go from here i think the the lazy but the correct analysis is that forest green's next match is massive and they host a mansfield side who've won nine of their last ten um they've they've got to have a reaction if they go down there then suddenly that chasing pack are going to be alongside um and it'll be a bit of a you know we talk about bournemouth and how they were slightly shell-shocked i think after the, the defeat against derby where they were leading Rob Edwards has got to make sure that this Oldham result and, and the manner of it doesn't have the same effect. Uh, of course, another wrinkle to this result was that uh, many Oldham fans were boycotting this game as part of the empty the park protest against the current ownership. Um, a couple of weeks ago, they filled Boundary Park to show how many fans who are not attending games regularly um, would like to uh, and would attend games under uh, more positive leadership, leadership that communicated better, leadership that frankly ran the club better. It's been a, a steady decline uh, since the current ownership took over a few years ago. And the attendance was listed on the Oldham website as 3,621. Uh, only 157 away fans, of course, Forest Green. Um, but even so, that was kind of laughed at somewhat by the Oldham fans who said, I don't think that's true, mate. Uh, and I think there's there's probably a question about attendances and how they get reported, uh, where I'm, I'm pretty sure they just keep in all of the season ticket holders, don't they? Which you can kind of understand why they do that uh, but uh, probably doesn't actually show the, the true number and I guess there's an extent to which you know boycotting a game that ends five all is a, you know on the one hand it's like oh what a shame that that was the game they boycotted but I sort of think it's kind of perfect because the mm. the point they're making that the, the protests that they are performing has nothing to do with match to match stuff this isn't something that can you know, that can be sort of banished by a couple of good results. It's not something that could be banished by a, a great come-from-behind five-all draw against the, the league leaders. This is um, this is within the very the very base of the ownership of the club and the, the message is pretty clear and, and keeps being made. Uh, Harrogate lost 2-1 to Northampton. Now, uh, I think it was on the betting show. I said Forest Green, Georgia, are the only winning machine in League Two. I'm not sure that's true, actually. Northampton... Gobblers. Make a good point... Uh, good, good, uh, a good... 
point for it. That doesn't make sense, but you know what I mean? Four wins in a row for them and eight in their last 10. The last three of them all against teams in the top 10. Very impressive stuff from your old pal, John Brady. Yeah, he's doing well. I mean, it, it's it's fairly typical of them this season that the two goals came from Guthrie and Horsfall. Hmm. Um, Nine between are- them. Amazing, um, and again, I'm, that old word, that old word, sustainable. I'm not convinced that winning games two one on the road with the two centre backs scoring the goals is, is necessarily the way to win a league. But um, yeah, I mean, I said, I think it was back in kind of October. I said one of two things is going to happen: the old classic, either Northampton are going to improve or the results are going to get worse. And they've they've definitely improved since then. Um, and I'm delighted because Brady seems like a, a guy who really cares about about the club. Um, and they took a bit of a chance, I guess, by appointing him, but it's, it's paying off at the moment. And they are one of the sides, surely, who are looking at Forest Green, um, wondering if, if there is a slip up, they're going to be waiting in the wings to, to chase him down. I mean, it's amazing. There's a five point gap now between second and third. That seems to have crept up on us pretty, pretty quickly. Well, helped by the fact that Exeter lost to Tranmere uh, this weekend. Three wins in a row now for Tranmere. They're either, they either seem to be on a, on a really good streak or a really poor streak. Uh, and at the moment, it's good. Nevitt took his goal really well, didn't he? Um, and, mm. and I think that was the sort of game that, that suits Tranmere and what they're good at, where their strengths lie. Experience and steel, uh, being strong in the challenge, managing games pretty well, being comfortable in different match situations. Where they haven't been so good, of course, is scoring goals, creating chances consistently. And then they still need to work on that. But I think they're comfortable in a battle, particularly, dare I say, it, against a, uh, a technical team like Exeter, who probably uh, don't love the, the the grind quite so much. Um, shout out the fans of Tramir who went to Oldham away and Exeter away in the space of five days. Well rewarded there with two away wins. And I want to just mention Charlie Jolly, because although Elliot Nevitt scored the winner, Charlie Jolly is a 20-year-old striker that's played the last two games. He scored the winner against Oldham in midweek and a good performance here. I asked Dan, who's a Tramir fan from Not The Top 20 squad, to tell me a little bit more about this guy because 20-year-old strikers coming in and, and making a positive impact is something that we want to talk about on the pod. Uh, and he described him as an extremely willing runner, always offers the channels and dragged Exeter's centre-backs all over the place at times. On the ball, he's got real acceleration when dribbling, great at flicking on play, loves a tap-in and often takes up good positions in the box. His pace has been what has excited us most, though. We seriously lacked that, and it's just a much-needed extra dimension there. So Charlie Jolly, one to watch over the coming weeks. Uh, Barrow beat Swindon 2-0. George, we saw Couple Swindon... Pens, wasn't it? Yeah, we saw Swindon lose in midweek. They've gone to Barrow. They've lost again. That away winning streak is well and truly over. Uh, this one was all about penalties, really, but uh, at the end of the day, when all said and done, big win for Barrow. They needed it. Yeah, it was a big win for them, and they, you know, there's not much analysis we can do into Barrow's performance. They, they probably were just about the better side in open play. Um, they got two penalties to, to win the game, and you know, you are right, they did need it because, um, as has often been the case this season, I think um, Barrow's have come into this campaign with a lot of optimism, and I think that they saw the appointment of Mark Cooper as a bit of a, a bit of a Cooper. <laughs> and um, and it hasn't necessarily gone to plan so far for Swindon. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a concern where they were just really toothless going forward. I mean, it was the Swindon that we're used to seeing in terms of keeping the ball. Um, you know, Jack Payne was was on it more than anybody um, and looking dangerous, but they didn't really create too many good opportunities. And you know, you can understand that against going to Leighton Orient against a, you know a Kenny Jacket side who we know are very well drilled. But Barrow haven't been in in very good form at all. And you look at their recent performances and who they've lost to. Um, yeah, 
don't know. Maybe we're going to see a bit of a, a regression from from Swindon in the next couple of weeks. But Ben Garner um, will be keen to ensure this doesn't continue for too long. They go up against Walsall at home on Saturday and a game that they will hope to win. But six goals conceded and little attacking thrust um, have made it a difficult week, a bad week, I'd say, for, for Swindon. Well, a row very good week for Newport County. Mm. Two wins, both from behind. This one was against Port Vale. Uh, both of them had some mitigating circumstances or favourable circumstances. They win against Sutton uh, from 2-0 down, came with Sutton uh, down to 10 men for over an hour. Uh, this one against Vale, a Vale side who are missing 93 strikers at the moment and have Garrity playing up front, who's doing his best, to be fair. Three goals in two games, playing up front, the midfielder. Uh, but also it meant that Newport were able to impose themselves on Vale and come back and win this game. Of course, Dom Telford scored. It's now 14 league goals this season, but more significantly, 12 in his late in his last eight league games. He has scored in eight straight League Two games. That's with uh, an enforced absence after he tested po- positive for COVID as well. Uh, how which is incredible! Um, how far do you reckon? And I know the answer. How far do you reckon you have to go back for Dom Telford's previous 12 league goals? Well, I was remembering the other day that he played a small role in uh, Berry's promotion under Ryan Lowe in what was that, seventeen eighteen? So maybe seventeen eighteen. First of September, twenty eighteen. So just the beginning of eighteen nineteen. Bad luck. Damn it! You went for so a whole annoying. season rather than a month, and you probably would have been closer. But... I hate being wrong. Well, of course, Owen Doyle for Swindon scored in eleven straight games, so he's got that to target. Uh, be a hell of an achievement. But this one was more about Finn Azaz's winner. Full of pizzazz. Uh, he scored a goal, the sort of League Two version of that Delhi Alley goal against Crystal Palace a few years ago. Great first touch, flicked it over his own head and to get it away from the defender, and then just sort of side foot half volley, like mm. a laser into the far corner. Sensational winning goal. And Dan, not the Tranmere fan, Dan, but the Newport fan, Dan, who's on the NTT20 squad, with full of fancy Dans on the squad. Uh, he said that Azaz is just a joy to watch every time he plays for us and really should be playing at a higher level. He is on loan from Aston Villa, so that's not unlikely uh, in the coming months and years. Just one of those players who who makes it look like he has so much time on the ball when he obviously doesn't. Uh, glides past players effortless, effortlessly, has a great range of passing, and now Robery's got him putting the effort into press as well. Um, but Dan did want to shout out Robbie Wilmot as well. You might remember him for being uh, something of a, le- a jobbing League Two winger. Well, now he is Newport County's defensive midfielder uh, this season and doing very well. Dan saying if you'd had said this time last year, he'd be controlling games from defensive midfield and flying into tackles. I'd have thought you were mad. This new position has given him a new lease of life. You love to see that. Newport yeah. on a really good run under Robery quite a lot to suggest that they're quite good i think the underlying numbers are pretty positive but desperately tough run coming up uh, the underlying, away. i was gonna say the underlying numbers are going to be positive because they're, they're going behind the whole time yeah <laughs> it's good playing against 10 men and going behind first if you want your, <laughs> yeah. you want your numbers to look good um uh rochdale away followed by forest green leighton orient walsall salford harrogate i'd be interested to see where they are after that they're fourth at the moment I think anywhere in the top seven, I, I think you could be very pleased after what will be a tough run in which they play an Orient side, George, who were on the wrong end of what I think was probably the most surprising result of the weekend, losing 2-1 at home to Crawley Town. I mean, surely you've learnt now just to not expect anything from Crawley games because it's just complete and utter, doesn't doesn't follow any rhyme or reason what happens when Yemsi's in charge. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I agree in theory that, especially after what we saw from from Leighton Orient mm. um, in midweek, in I didn't flesh. expect <clears throat> I didn't expect their only goal uh, to come from a kind of loopy deflected cross that Glenn Morris kind of ended up falling into the goal with um, Crawley were a pretty decent value for their win. You know, they created way more chances. They were the better side throughout. Um, it was just a, a, a really, really bad day at the office for, for Leighton Orient. Um, and yeah, I just can't work out Crawley under under Johnny Ems. I'd love to know if their fans have any theories as to when they win and when they play poorly because it just seems to be whichever way the wind's blowing. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I, know that, I know that's not great analysis, about, but I, I'm just... There are a couple of clubs in the EFL, Reading are one of them, Crawley one of them, where I'm just like, any, anything could happen here. I have no idea. They love spoiling people's days. I think that's definitely true. Um, last season, cup run, beating Leeds. They had a good record against teams at the top of League Two, albeit they didn't do very well against the teams below them. Uh, this was just a sensational performance. Brilliant in attack and in defence. They, they didn't have a shot on target, Leighton Orient. But even so, the, the comedy goal that was Orient's equaliser across that bounced off the back of Morris and went mm. in, you know, that's 1-1 away from home against one of the best home teams in the league. You could imagine feeling, A, pretty hard done by and B, then just becoming, you know, sitting in and trying to hold on to that point, but far from it. No shots on target for Orient. Uh, Nadison and Napier were brilliant up top for Crawley. Nadison's one of those, I've always thought he could be a lot better than his output suggests. I've got a few players yeah. like that in League Two. Jordan Bowery's always been one of them as well. Maybe this is the start of something for Nadison. I hope so. Uh, then we've got Bristol Rovers 4, Rochdale 2, Walsall 3, Colu 0. Either of those you want to take on? Uh, Walsall 3, Colu 0 is another significant result for Walsall. It feels like that side who are kind of just having a massive transition season <laughs> where every good performance, you know, they're not going to get ahead of themselves. They aren't going to be challenging, I don't think, uh, for promotion this season. But you know, for Otis Khan, who's probably one of those players who fits into what you were just saying, a player who we know can be very, very good in his day, who you probably expect more from, for him to get a couple of goals here was 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 important. Um, they made a Colchester side who are obviously very, very poor uh, on the road um, look fairly ordinary uh, I think Colchester are really missing Shamal George in goal um, who we know was a big part of their of, of, of any early good form from them as well but this was a, as regulation as easy a home and as you're going to get really um, for Colchester you know I still feel like they're one of the sides who could who could um, if their form doesn't improve um, slide into danger you know they're currently uh, in in 20th on 22 points Um Obviously, Alderman Scunthorpe have a three-point cushion to the others at the moment, and there's not much sign of, of them picking up under the new managers, even if it's going to be enjoyable under under um, Benishur. But uh, but yeah, for Colchester, they have to find a way to to improve their waveform because um, it is it is poor at the moment. I haven't got a great handle on Bristol Rovers at the moment and where they're at. They'd been on a, a run without a win uh, before beating Dale four-two on Saturday at the Mem two-nil up pegged back to 2-2 and then 4-2 winners. Uh, it's four goals in his last three for Aaron Collins. I feel like when people were getting excited about Bristol Rovers' summer transfer business, you know, very early on before anyone was doing any, um, Aaron Collins was kind of a standout name in terms of someone who we recognised at this level, had scored goals. Um, he's a He's a strange one for me. I like him a lot for his mobility, for his ball-carrying ability, I think there's there's a lot that he offers outside of goal scoring, personally. 
but he's mm. not always been reliable in front of goal. And that's certainly been the case for Rovers this season. Barton has not trusted him to be their, their sort of leading striker, that's for sure. And after two goals, maybe maybe he can go on a bit of a run. You know, Could he be something of a confidence player? We'll see. First goal was, was a, a cracker. Second goal was a, a sort of composed finish. Maybe, maybe he could fill uh, a sort of much-needed gap for Rovers at the moment, which is right at the top end of the pitch. An important win for them uh, either way. Anthony Evans on the score sheet as well. He's been a player that's really impressed me this season. Mansfield 2, Salford 1, George Stevenage 0, Carlisle 2. Which of those would you like to lucky dip? I think Mansfield 2, um, Salford 1. You know, I mentioned on the betting show that I kind of fancied Salford here because Mansfield had, had struggled in midweek. Um I mean, Salford's attacking output is so poor. I mean, I, it's one of those things where you kind of forget now that Salford was still expected to be challenging towards the top end of the table this season. And you have to wonder how long how long Gary Bowyer's got for a side who were who so keen to chop and change last season. I mean, Salford are having a desperate campaign. Um, but Mansfield, you know, again, I don't know necessarily at their best, um, but they got the job done. Um, they conceded very few chances. Having gone behind, they came back to win it. And they are massively upwardly upwardly mobile um and it's you know i think we're going to find out how good they are on saturday when they when they travel to forest green carlisle with a big away win at stevenage who've got zero manager bounce from paul tisdale uh i i think i remember doing an alex Ravel post-mortem in which i said well he's going to get pretty upset because i don't think they're far away and realistically whoever comes in is probably going to pick up a couple of results that Ravel himself and you know he'll feel a bit hard done by that's not really been the case this was a uh, insipid home defeat to a Carlisle side who deserved it. Uh, big performances across the pitch for them. Mellish with the first goal, um, Gibson with the second. Who I mean, he's just so quality. I, I I wonder if there's an extent to which Jordan Gibson might be a, a bit of a highlights player, but he certainly <laughs> looks good on the highlights. Um, uh, yeah, real technical uh, quality and skill. But Callum Guy in midfield, uh, who we loved last year as well for his intense pressing and tackling and. You know, he can whip in a good set piece as well. Dickinson down the left, all played well. Uh, and most notably, probably, was a uh, start up top for 18-year-old Sam Fishburne uh, from Gateshead. A uh, young striker, did well uh, in his first start for Carlisle. A lot of people thought having him chucked in the deep end, he might be something of a fish out of water, but not at all. <laughs> Leaping around like a salmon. Sam Fishburne did really well here and deserves a shout-out on the pod to finish us off. Um, well done George that was a busy busy well breakdown done, you, of EFL action but I, I wouldn't want to do it with anyone else that's lucky <laughs> it's lucky isn't it <laughs> a massive thank you to our sponsors Betfair for their continued support of the Not The Top 20 podcast allowing us to take on these leagues as best we can twice weekly on the pod um, and George and I are going to start comparing diaries to try and get ourselves to Rotherham can't do the Oxford away game I'm afraid uh, busy when is that? It's 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 like spring, but I can't do it. I think I've got a, a wedding or a stag that day or something. Anyway, uh, not one for now. We'll discuss off air. Uh, thank you so much right. for listening. If you've made it to this point, great effort. Hope you've enjoyed it. Let us know if you got the answer smash answer right. Let me know if you want to put together a whole round of those uh, for EFL players or teams. Uh, it'd be great to hear from you. I feel like you should sing um, the song we were, we were talking about earlier for everyone who's made it this far as like a thank you. Which song? Uh, what is the song? All you need is love. Yeah, yeah, there you go. All you need is love. love. It's good that we did, we, did, we did two Beatles songs on this podcast. Love is all you need. 